Hi folks, welcome back to Dose Makes the Poison the Toxcast. My name is Kevin, and I am your host for this show. So today's episode is an introduction to forensic toxicology. Forensic toxicology. Let's talk about it for a few minutes. I don't want this episode to be overly long because we'll be revisiting much of what I say in this episode in a future episode or episodes and can explore those concepts potentially in more detail. So not going to be too long today. But don't get frightened when I uh, start throwing uh, out terms and definitions at you. Again, these will come up in future episodes, so that's just why I want to do this quick introduction to Forensic Talks episode. So let's start really basic. What the heck is Forensic Toxicology? Well, I think to talk about Forensic Toxicology, you've got to understand what is toxicology. And at its most basic, toxicology is the study of the effects of chemicals, whether that be drugs or poisons, pesticides, or any other substance on living organisms. This pretty much includes the symptoms, the mechanics, the treatments, and the detection of those chemicals that you are studying. Forensic toxicology is exactly what it sounds like. It is taking toxicology and applying it to the medical legal world. So in forensic toxicology, the overall field, there are some subgenres, as like I call them, or sub-realms. Uh, we have post-mortem toxicology, which sounds like, and it is, the study of toxicology as applied to death investigations. We have human performance toxicology, which is how drugs affect uh, someone's driving ability. Basically, um, when you think of human performance toxicology, it's like driving under the influence of drugs or DUI case work. Uh, whether it's ethanol or alcohol or some other sort of drug, driving under the influence of drugs. We have drug-facilitated crimes. So if a crime is committed and drugs are involved, this is the, the where those sort... This is what this realm is, drug-facilitated crimes. Historically, it's something like um, drug-facilitated sexual assault, DFSA, or rape. So if someone is out at a club or anything like that and uh, they get slipped a, uh, uh, something in their drink or they're given something surreptitiously, they wake up the next morning, they believe they've been assaulted, they report to the police, uh, and then at that point in time, they might take a urine sample or draw blood and send it to a toxicology lab to determine if that person was drugged with something. So that is the drug-facilitated crime section of forensic toxicology. Uh, and really, uh, you can. there are many genres. It's kind of like music. There are many different sub-genres of music. Like you talk about heavy metal, but then you've got doom metal and death metal and black metal and power metal and all that sort of stuff. But there are many different subgenres or realms of forensic toxicology, but I typically break them down to four parts. And like I said, post-mortem tox, human performance tox, drug-facilitated crime, and then urine drug testing. So basic urine drug testing. And this could be for things like workplace drug testing 
or mandated testing by, say, the Department of Transportation for your job, or testing for drugs because uh, the person is being prescribed opioids by a physician, and that physician uh, wants to make sure that that patient is being compliant with their medication and actually taking their medication. So that's the urine drug testing side of things. Um, I have the most experience in postmortem tox and human performance toxicology. I've never really done a lot of drug-facilitated crime toxicology because it's not as common as uh, the other realms of toxicology. You don't see as many drug-facilitated crime cases in any lab than you do, uh, like you do, a driving under the influence casework or death cases. So you have postmortem, human performance, drug-facilitated crime, and urine drug testing. So basically, what does a forensic toxicologist do? Well, like I said, much of what we do is based on what we can test for. So much of what forensic toxicology is, is actually based on the actual detection of the substance in the body. So we analyze specimens in a laboratory. I'll get back to this one in a minute um, about detection and, and specimens. We review casework. We sign out toxicology reports. We interpret results for coroners and medical examiners and pathologists, law enforcement officials, attorneys, family members of someone who died. Uh, we'll talk to them and help them understand what the drug results mean, what the toxicology results or report means in their specific case. A big part of forensic toxicology is courtroom testimony, which I know we'll talk about another day in another episode because you can talk about courtroom testimony, behaviors, what to expect, anything like that. But that needs to be a separate episode. Our labs churn out results. So it doesn't matter what, where we are, what the forensic tox lab is, where it's located, Florida, New York, Montana, Michigan, Texas, wherever, those labs will churn out toxicology reports and results, and then a toxicologist will more than likely have to go to court to relay that information to a jury in a criminal or civil trial. So that's what we do. We analyze specimens, we interpret those results, and we go to court. So back to the specimens. Like I said, we were going to get back to the specimens. I said earlier that we analyze specimens. Because everything we do in forensic toxicology is based on the detection of a substance. Well, we test all sorts of substances. In death cases, a medical examiner uh, will draw toxicology samples at autopsy. Those samples can be blood from the heart or the femoral vein in the leg. Uh, they may draw urine from the bladder to be tested. The pathologist will draw vitreous humor or that fluid that's in your eyeball. Um, they may collect liver tissue or kidney or spleen or even brain tissue for us to analyze. In cases of, of decomposition, uh, there may be no blood or urine or vitreous fluid left to test. So we might have to test liver or kidney. Um, and in, in cases of, of extreme decomposition, uh, we may only have muscle tissue left over to test. We'll test bile, we'll test gastric contents. Yes, we do test the, context, the contents of someone's stomach every once in a while. Um, there are specialized labs that will test hair and oral fluids or saliva, nails and bone. But 
each one of these specific specimen types or matrices, as we like to call them, um, they have certain reasons why you may test it. Um, we'll talk about those in detail in another episode, but just remember that each specimen type, whether it's blood, urine, vitreous, liver tissue, brain tissue, uh, each specimen type may provide a different piece of information for an investigation. We also test other specimens in a toxicology or chemistry lab. So we, we test evidence that's found at the scene of a death. Evidence that's found in a car of someone pulled over for suspected driving under the influence. Uh, things like needles and syringes, unidentified white powders, capsules and pills and tablets, fluids and liquids, drug paraf- other drug paraphernalia like spoons and rolled up dollar bills, quote unquote green plant material. Um, in many cases of suspected poisonings, uh, we may even test a person's food or drink if, they're, if they suspect they're being poisoned. Forensic toxicologists routinely deal with drugs like cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, LSD, cannabis, uh, MDMA, ecstasy, basalts, K2 spice, prescription opioids, all sorts of, te- all sorts of substances and drugs that we have to deal with. We test for these drugs with analytical instrumentation, instruments such as liquid chromatography mass spectrometry, or LCMS, or gas chromatography with mass spectrometry, GCMS. If you watch CSI or any of those true crime type shows, you might hear the acronyms GCMS or LCMS thrown around a lot. Um, Those are the instruments that we use to analyze these samples. Again, this is just a general introductory to forensic tox episode. Um, But in a future episode, we'll talk about all this stuff in in more detail. So what is LCMS or what is GCMS or even what is mass spectrometry? But I'll also probably have episodes on the different drug classes and we'll talk about, again, what the instruments and tools and equipment that we use in other episodes. But just know we use mass spectrometry and we deal with a large amount of drugs, whether they're the prescription, illicit, over-the-counter, we deal with a lot of substances. And like I said, forensic toxicologists like to throw around a lot of acronyms, but we also throw around a lot of terms. So I figured I'd introduce you to a few of the heavy hitters that we routinely use day in and day out. And these are definitions and terms that will definitely come up in future episodes that you might need to know. So the first one is dose. We're probably all pretty familiar with what dose means. The dose is the amount of chemical or substance that enters the body or is administered by a person. It's in... In our measurements, at least here in the United States, we're usually measuring them in milligrams. So, so five milligrams or 10 milligrams, 250 milligrams, whatever the dosage or dose is. The dosing interval is how often you give that dose. So it's kind of like a, a physician's prescription. They say take 10 milligrams of hydrocodone once every four hours or once by mouth per day. Or, I don't know, 5 milligrams given every 12 hours intravenously. So it just, the dosing interval means how often the drug is given. The route of administration is very important, the ROA. 
Um, this is basically how a substance is consumed or, or given. If you take it by mouth, you take it orally, you insufflate it or you snort it through your nose. So like you go, you smoke it, you vape it, basically you're inhaling it. You inject it intravenously, basically injecting it into a blood vessel. You inject it intramuscularly into a muscle. Uh, you administer it buccally or sublingually, so you absorb it via the, the cells in the cheek or underneath the tongue. Those are all common routes of administration that we encounter. A forensic toxicologist also refer to the terms pharmacodynamics and pharmacokinetics a lot. So when we talk about, they're very similar, but they mean very different things. So pharmacodynamics is the study of the biochemical and physiological effects of that substance on the body. So what it does to the body. Pharmacokinetics, on the other hand, is basically once you consume that substance, what is your body doing to that substance? How is that substance absorbed by the body? How is it distributed in the body? How is it transformed or metabolized by the body? And lastly, how is it removed or excreted from the body? So that's pharmacokinetics. We also talk about onset of action or basically how long it takes for a drug, for a drug's effects to occur or happen. Is it a fast-acting drug, or is it a slow-acting drug? So a good example of onset of action is marijuana. You smoke marijuana or cannabis, you're going to feel the effects within minutes. You're going to start feeling those, those high, those psychoactive effects within minutes, because you're smoking it, you're getting it into your bloodstream faster, and its onset of action in that route of administration is very quick. On the other hand, you consume THC or cannabis or marijuana edibles. So a cookie or a brownie that has THC in it. Well, now that route of administration, you're consuming it, you're eating it, and it's going down into your stomach, and it has to be broken down and absorbed from your stomach, uh, from the gastric, and then absorbed into the bloodstream that way. It takes a lot longer time for it to be absorbed, and then the effects are felt maybe 30, 40 minutes later, not within minutes. So that's the onset of action. Duration of action is the amount of time the substance is effective. So how long do the effects last in the body? Is it a short-acting drug or is it a long-acting drug? And finally, the last terms I'm going to throw at you today in this episode are the terms agonist and antagonist. An agonist is a substance that when it binds to a receptor in the body, you consume it, it binds to the receptors in the body, and it activates those receptors to produce a response or produce a biological response. For example, you consume morphine. Morphine binds to those mu opioid receptors in the body and produces a response. An antagonist is a substance that binds to a receptor and blocks the action of an agonist, what we just talked about. So again, from the morphine example, so let's say you take way too much morphine. You basically overdose on morphine. 
There is an antagonist that, be, that can be given to block the action of morphine at the opioid receptors. And it's called naloxone or Narcan is the trade name. So you consume morphine, you have way too much morphine in you, you're given the naloxone antagonist, that naloxone then binds to those same opioid receptors and does not allow for morphine to bind anymore. And therefore, morphine cannot produce an effect. So that's antagonist versus agonist. Most of what we deal with is agonists. They're producing a biological response. But antagonists are very, very important in forensic toxicology. You tired of terms yet? You tired of definitions? Because I've got a lot more for you. No, I'm, I'm just joking there. That's, that's really all I have for this episode. It was meant as a quick intro to what forensic toxicology is and to kind of expose you to a few words that will come up during this podcast. And I mean, many of you out there listening may have experience in this field, so you may know what all of this means. But some of you probably have no prior exposure to toxicology or forensics in general. So there is never, and I say this all the time, but there is never any harm in getting back to the basics, getting a refresher in the basics, the basic terms, the in terms that everybody should know, but maybe you need to hear it every once in a while. And that's what those were. I mean, antagonist versus agonist, route of administration, pharmacodynamics versus pharmacokinetics, onset of action versus duration of action. Those sort of definitions. That's all I've got for, for this intro to forensic toxicology episode. I hope you learned a few things today. I'm going to follow this up. Next, next episode will be a little bit different. I am going to talk about cyanide the next episode. So again, you can find this podcast through all the typical podcasting apps, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast, all of those apps that you would typically find your podcasts through. You can find Dose Makes the Poison, the ToxCast, through those. If you want to get in contact with me, find me on Twitter, at Forensic Tox Guy, or Tox, at ToxCast, or on Facebook at Dose Makes the Poison Podcast. You can also reach me via email at DoseMakesThePoisonPodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, my friends, I will leave you with another quote. There is so much truth in this compact statement this is kind of one of the fundamental rules of forensic toxicology. And I want you to think about this and we'll talk about it in a future episode, but I want you to think about why you would not, what, what the statement is saying and why it is a fundamental rule. But the, the statement goes, and it's very compact, but I quote, never practice toxicology in a vacuum. Peace, my friends. Peace.